Good morning, church. I probably, like many of you, are finding it a little bit challenging to be happy this morning in light of three mass shootings in our country in one week. It's just, uh, it's just so tragic, is it not? And so difficult to understand and to know how to respond. And just uh, thought we should take some time this morning just, just to pause and pray and invite the Lord to come and into these moments. California last week, those ones who died were 25, 13, and 6. Does that break your heart? El Paso yesterday with 20 fatalities. Dayton last night with nine fatalities. We just need to take a minute, don't we? Church. I just want to invite you to take a minute and pray. Maybe you want to pray for the recovery of the many who were wounded. Maybe you want to pray for the families of those who lost loved ones. Maybe you want to pray for our country, our, our government. Maybe, maybe you want to pray for yourself. Maybe you just want to pray a prayer that says, why, why do you let this this stuff happen, Lord. But whatever your prayer is, I just want to give you a minute just to pray it silently, just you and the Lord. Lord, we need you. We need you in our country. We cannot sort out the answer to these kinds of problems, Lord. And I know we need to try. I know we need to figure out what should change in our country in response to these kinds of things, Lord. But at the end of the day, we know that without you, it's just delaying an inevitable new expression of evil. So we pray, God, that you will come to our country and you will change hearts. You'll change hearts, Lord. You'll save the lost. You'll rescue those who are caught in prisons of evil, God. That you'll foil the plans of the enemy, Lord. We just claim Jude 9, the Lord rebuke you. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come now and and meet us in our moment of uh, confusion and grief and sorrow and shock, bewilderment, maybe fear. Whatever the, whatever's going on inside of our hearts, Lord, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come now and minister to that deep place that longs for you, that needs you. Only you will do, Lord. Lord, I, I just feel like our whole world is just going off of its own rails. It's just 
derailed. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Church, will you pray that with me? Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for all safety around our loved ones. We just speak out to you, Lord, these people who are just minding their own business. We pray for your special safety around ourselves and our loved ones, Lord, that there is no weapon formed against us that will prosper, God, that you will foil the plans of the enemy, that you'll shatter the teeth of the wicked, Lord, that you will come and fulfill your promises to keep us, Lord. We pray for that. We pray for that here in this space. We pray for that wherever we go. We pray for a mobile protection, God. And we pray for the salvation of this country, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and let the middle school people take off out that door with Mr. Eric. See if we can shift gears here a little bit. I need to tell you, I feel like I want to tell you, take your last look at this stage. This is the last time you're going to see it this way. What? Yeah, I'm so excited. I've been wanting to do this for so long. There's uh, problems with this stage that you would never know about, but it's going to be uh, renovated. And so for the next... Uh, Next, probably two Sundays, we're going to be on plywood up here. <laughs> so we're not, probably not even going to have access to our big sound system. We'll probably it'll be like a garage band up here, you know, <laughs> be up here with our amps and stuff. And so bear with us for a couple weeks. I get to lead worship on one of those weeks. I'm really excited about the garage band. Yeah, I didn't say country music. <laughs> How do you get that from garage band? Yeah, so I appreciate your patience, and uh, I think it's going to be really nice when we're done. Over the course of this, uh, this month of August, basically, everything, a lot of things in here are going to change. So uh, I know everybody doesn't like change, but I think this is an important one, okay? Have you ever had the invitation to become something you weren't, to be something? Maybe you, they, the team wanted you to be the captain. Maybe the group wanted you to be the leader. Anybody? been recruited for something like that. Maybe you were elected. Now you have to be the representative of the people, or maybe you got a promotion. So now you got to be that job, be the person in that job. And it's like a line drawn in the sand that says we're inviting you to be, and you have to be somebody a little different on the other side of the line. Who knows what I'm talking about? Anybody? Okay. So I think we're getting an invitation from the Lord today to be the remnant. Be the remnant. See if we can explain a little bit more about what we mean by that as we continue through this uh, series of seven letters uh, in the book of Revelation, chapter two and three, and we're on number five. And uh, admittedly, the teaching from these letters has been stark, has been a little, uh, a little aggressive by comparison. And uh, it's good but it's been a little rough on us. And I just wanted to point out that we're only doing this series because Pastor Christian started it. 
Okay? This was his idea. He started the first one. And so, uh, if you have complaints, it is Christian at gcvineyard.org. All right? I've always thought if you're not getting critical emails, you're probably not preaching the gospel. <laughs> so we're in this third, uh, third chapter, the fifth letter to the church in Sardis. Buckle up. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. That's the remnant. That's, what the, that's the remnant. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. That's the invitation, to be the remnant. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord, come. Holy Spirit, come in power to this passage. Make the church what you want the church to be. In Jesus' name, amen. These seven letters, as we've seen in this series, the seven letters to the churches, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, make kind of a mail route, if you will, you know, a delivery route of seven actual churches, action, actual in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. Each of these churches had actual people, actual believers in actual cities, and so these letters were written, this scroll was circulated throughout these seven, each having its own, each having its own section. And that's what, that's, that was the original intention. We've been over that ground. It does give me an opportunity in talking about these seven letters to deal with something that can be a little bit troubling in your life, and I want to talk about the fallacy of dispensational, of modern dispensationalism is what I should say. Dispensationalism, go ahead and say that's fun. So you can see there's dispensation, which is like an age. And so dispensationalism is a form of theological thinking or biblical interpretation that says that history, church history, or, or actually all of history, has played out in dispensations or in eras. And that, uh, that uh, if you look at the Bible, you can see that, that, that that's how it plays out. And uh, originally, in its original form, dispensationalism was not a bad thing. It was started in the 19th century, thought of, conceived, largely. There's some tracing back to some of the earlier thinkers, but largely in the 19th century by John Darby Nelson, someone like that. And uh, originally, it started out as a good thing. I felt, Pat, I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like originally, with, with, with the distinction between Israel and the church, and that there was a dispensation, an era that was Israel's time, prophetic time, and then now we're in the church age, but that God isn't done with Israel yet, which is completely defensible from Scripture, right? My New Testament scholar sits in the front row keeping me honest right here, okay? And so from that perspective, dispensationalism was just fine. But what happened, C.I. Schofield and these other people started adding on, adding on, adding on. Have you ever found a good, simple thing and ruined it by complicating it? Anybody? Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's what happened. And so they started laying stuff on. So they begins to look like this then. You have this dispensation, this, 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 this. And here's when the rapture is going to occur and the millennium is going to, and et cetera. And it starts to get really complicated. Now, where it gets even worse is where some of the, some of the thinkers started laying the seven letters of the church on as dispensational times. In other words, the church age started with, with this time, the first letter, and then it shifts. They generally agree about the conversion of Constantine in the fourth century, the second letter, on and on and on and on, so that now we are in the Laodicean era or the last day. Am I tracking okay, Pat? So far, he says, yeah, I like that. Confidence. <laughs> Raise your hand if I mess up, okay? <laughs> And so the, the problem with this thinking is just, it just, it just blown out of control. The problem with saying that these seven letters actually represent seven sequential eras of time is problematic in a couple of respects. And one is that the, these dispensationalists cannot largely agree on when these dispensations actually begin and end. So there's just a broad variance of interpretation about that. But the thing that I find more troubling is as you read through these seven letters, you can see that there are qualities in those letters, both for and against each individual church, that appear in every age. And so to say that the qualities of the church of Ephesus were only a part of the larger church in that era is nonsense, because it appears here, 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 and even today. Remember your first love, correct? I mean, there's still application today. So what I'm saying is the fallacy of modern dispensationalism, I did this in the first service too, I get so excited about this teaching, I run out of breath. So some of you folks have oxygen, anybody have oxygen? <laughs> and and, and it, it, here's why I'm troubled by this, is because dispensationalists, some of you have been sucked in, dispensationalists use this teaching to explain why we should not expect to see God move in power today. Because they say that dispensation is past. That God doesn't do that stuff like he did in the Bible. Well, that's nonsense, because if you actually read, bother to read church history, you see that God has continued, will continue, and still is doing stuff wherever there are authentic believers who are calling on his name, including in this little room right here, right? Okay. So... For those of you who are newer who said, I never heard of dispensationalism before, God bless you. <laughs> when you encounter it, just keep moving on, okay? All right. Uh, but when we look at this book uh, or this letter to the church in Sardis, I need to bring you three terms which may or may not be familiar to you. And I'm, I'm approaching this, this teaching a little bit different than I normally do. I think there are three terms that you need to get hold of in order to understand in a, in a large way, what's happening and what the present-day application of this, this letter that I just read for you is. And the first word is syncretism. Say it. Syncretism. You can see, it, let's read the definition together, together. The amalgamation of different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. So syncretism, let's just use religion as an example, takes ten religions and tries to squish them all together so that you have one good, happy family. Well, the problem is, is religions at their very core have different absolutes, don't they? And so when you start mashing them together, you don't get one big happy family. You get one big unhappy family, right? Syncretism, you can see at its core, 
that word sync, like synchronize, like let's synchronize our watches, let's make them all the same. Syncretism is let's make all the religions the same. Uh, you know what a synchronized transmission is? And Dick, you know that that old tractor I drive does not have a synchronized transmission, right? But you know that if we're good, we can, we can shift that thing just right and it won't grind, right? Because we know how to do it and we're that cool, right? Okay. <laughs> Modern transmissions are synchronized so that you can shift them all you want and they don't grind. They're synchronized. They're made compatible. And syncretism is trying to make religions, all different religions, into one. Can't we just push all, can't we all just get along? Maybe we can all get along, but that's a different question. We can't all be the same. This was a problem in this age when this uh, letter was written to the church in Sardis. Because what you had was you had a largely Greek or Hellenistic uh, culture being conquered by the Romans. And the Romans then were coming in. They already had Greek gods. And they were bringing in Roman gods. And what were they trying to do? Syncretize. Trying to just, can't we just, so they actually changed some of the names of the Greek gods to Roman names. They said, you can keep your god, but we're going to give you our name. Okay, good. It's ridiculous, isn't it? On the surface. But this was happening, and it's how you got the people in power to keep from cutting your head off. And so you can see there was strong motivation. So syncretism was part of the culture. Enter the church, the new church, <laughs> bought by the blood of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, moves into this culture, they're getting their heads cut off, right? They're getting their heads cut off because of the founder of their faith who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. You can't syncretize that. But there was pressure and pressure, persecution, so that it was, it was kind of part of the day, you know, let's just make everybody the same. And let's just compromise that. Maybe we could look at that in a different way, maybe. And so there was pressure. And so into that pressure, the Lord says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You look like a church, but you got nothing going on. You've given it away. You're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. So this syncretism just brought these, tried to uh, bring these religions together. An interesting thing about the city of Sardis is that it is, it is the only one of the seven churches that does not have have a historical reference to persecution. Now, we just saw a couple of letters ago that the Lord was saying, my faithful Antipas, who was executed in your city for the faith. There was, there was persecution in the other cities except Sardis. Why not? Because they gave in. They gave in. I know how we can fix this. We'll, we'll pay our homage to the Roman emperor. Sure, we'll do that. We're going to do our Jesus thing too, all right? That's syncretism. Isn't there a country song that says, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything? Anyone? Sing in the garage? 
I don't know about the church of today. You know, we've had this great interest the last 30 or 40 years of being relevant and really just connecting with the people of culture. I get that. I'm all about that. I don't want our faith to be irrelevant. But I wonder along the way if the church in America is, well, we're not going to talk so much about that. We're not going to talk so much about that. You know, there are churches that will not use the term blood because they find it, their surveys have shown it's offensive to seekers. They won't, they won't, they won't sing nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now, that's them. We, we do that, but I wonder what else we do that we can't see. That's why they call them blind spots. Syncretism. Most terrifying verses in Scripture, Chester and I share, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. People came and said, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do this? Did we not do that? And the Lord says, away from me, you evildoers. Depart from me. I never knew you. Lord. So this church was about syncretism. They were caught up in it. The, the next term, if you want to understand this, is the word apostasy. Go ahead and say that. It is not a kind of Italian food. It is the abandonment of a religious belief a renunciation, a recantation. Uh, it's I once believed, now I don't believe. It's an active walking away, intentional. It's not accidental. It's not I forgot to believe. It's not I had a really bad week, I really messed up, and I really need the forgiveness of Christ this week. That's not what it is. Apostasy is I once believed, I don't believe anymore. I don't, I don't believe anymore. Verse 5 is a really interesting one in, in Sardis in our text. It says, where the Lord says, He who overcomes will be like them, meaning the remnant, which we're going to get to in a minute. He'll be dressed in white, and I will never blot out his name from the book of life. Blot out his name. Interesting. Look at that. So, so the deal was that in the Roman cities, there was a register of the citizens. And if you wanted to, and so if you, you were part of Sardis, your name was in the book. You were registered. And if you wanted to change cities, you effectively had to renounce your citizenship there so that you could be registered in another city. And when you renounced it then, your name was blotted out because you were no longer a citizen. The Lord uses this imagery to say, you know what? No matter what happens, as long as you don't renounce me, I won't blot out your name. Now, that doesn't mean we can live any way we feel like. We still want to be guided by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We want to have a heart for living a righteous life. But Jesus' death on the cross is abiding. Salvation is abiding. Unless we say, I'm out. I don't believe anymore. I remember one of the very first sermons I ever preached. I was a student pastor in 1979. How many of you were not born yet? Uh, remember 1979, Christian? That was a, that was a good year, wasn't it? <laughs> ah, oh, my heavens. All right. 
1979, I had a little student charge. I was in seminary and had a little student charge outside of Finley, Ohio, the Zion Church of God in Hamlin, Ohio. And I remember I was trying to, I was trying to illustrate this point, you know, that your salvation is not a fragile thing. You know, God's holding you. And I, I, I picked up Brian, the guy who was just playing the pink guitar. Yeah. I picked him up like this. <laughs> He's sitting with his mama. Picked him up, and I held him up in front of the church. And I, I said to everybody, I said, I said, all you guys in this church, men, you could not get him out of my arms. Now, I was 23, and most of them were like in their 90s, so it could have been true. <laughs> Might have actually been true. But my point was, you know, the devil himself is not taking this kid away from me because I'm his daddy. There's only one way this kid is getting away from me. And that's if he looks and says, put me down. I'm done. I'm done. Friday morning in the Wall Street Journal talked about a former pastor named Joshua Harris. He was the founder of the uh, courting movement. I don't date. I think he said I give up, gave up dating or something like that. Very influential person. And, and I'm sure even to some of you in this room who, you know, parents who said, no, you're not going to date. You know, you're not going to do that. You're not going to have a boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, until you find the one you're going to marry. And it was a big thing. And, and teaching that was very popular and uh, a teaching that he has since regretted in many respects, because of the control issues that it, that it, that it uh, produced. And um, on Friday morning, he was quoted as saying, by all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. That's apostasy. I don't mean it as a judgment. I mean it as an observation that somebody says, I once believed. But now I don't believe. I'm out. I had a meeting with a dear friend I've known for many years. Just a couple of weeks ago. He was a pastor for years. And he just looked across the table at me. And he said, I just don't buy it anymore. I don't believe. That's apostasy. It's tragic. In both of these cases, I'm not all like judgy, like angry about it. It's just tragic. In the second case, as I listened to his story, he gave up on God because in his ministry, he just came to a point of what, what I've reflected on since our meeting is shattered idealism. Shattered idealism. It's like, this is what the Bible says. This is the way it's going to be. And it wasn't. And he couldn't reconcile the difference. Beloved, we have to protect our ideals. We have to protect our idealism. We have to be careful that the devil doesn't put the light on the wrong things, the darkness on the light. Because we live by ideals, don't we? We, look, we, we live by this book of ideals that if I pray, God will answer. If I worship, God will hear. If I serve, God will go with me. I'll see effect. And these are ideals by which we live. 
ideal relationships. These are going to be incredible relationships. And then reality comes in, right? And we have to sort that out. I don't let it drive you off. He said, remember what you've received and heard. Obey it and repent. That's, that was Christian's first message. Remember your first love. And that's what's happening in this verse, in this chapter, or in this letter, I'm sorry, in chapter 3. There's this widespread apostasy. People just walking away. And you know what? Syncretism leads to apostasy. Why? Because when you start just blending it all together, saying, oh, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, then it doesn't matter. And so you just walk away. Well, I don't need that. You could all be 10% richer by apostatizing right now. You can give yourself a 10% earthly raise. I don't recommend it. But if nothing matters, then you go, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to walk the walk anymore. The third word, and it's the good word, that we got to get a hold of to get this passage is the word remnant. Remnant. And remnant means the remaining portion, right? It's the last piece of pizza, okay? That's the remnant. I'll take the remnant, right? Especially when they cut it in squares and it's the middle. Don't you love that middle part? Oh, yeah, yeah. No? You a crust guy, Jeff? Okay. I'm in the middle. We should go out. I'll eat the middle. You eat the outside, right? Okay. It's a, re a remnant is a remaining portion. And uh, have you been reading your Bibles, anybody? Six, seven, eight? All right. The rest of you should get one. Because <laughs> you'll notice as you read through the Old Testament, there's like ups and downs with Israel, ups and downs. But even in the worst of downs, God always had a remnant a remnant, a remaining core of people who believed that no matter how unfaithful the rest of Israel was, there was always a remnant, a core. And that's what we're, that's what we're seeing here in this, in this book here. He said in verse 4, Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. So that's the remnant. Yeah, all this is going on in Sardis, but you've got some people who are willing to lose their heads over this, that are still walking the walk, that are still authentically connected to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. He says there's still a remnant there. If you read on, there's the invitation to the remnant in the next verse. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. So there's an invitation. Be the remnant. Be a part of the remnant. Now, there's a real caution here to the people, the believers in Sardis, that if they don't wake up, they're going to lose what they have. If they don't wake up, then the Lord is going to come and take what he has, what they have. You know, in 1990, George Barna wrote a book called The Frog in the Kettle. Hey, Don, didn't we go to see George Barna once a bunch of years ago? Elder Don and I drove to Timbuktu somewhere, Akron or somewhere maybe. It was a big church. Maybe it wasn't a big church. I just remember driving with you. I don't remember anything Barna said. I just remember driving with you. That was the highlight of the trip for me, was hanging out with you, Don. Where'd we go? 
Yeah, there's somewhere. Was it a big church? I didn't think so. How'd they get George Barna? Talk amongst yourselves. Don and I are catching up. George did a survey. George Barna is like, was like his guru, statistician guru, church statistician guru. So he wrote this book, The Frog in the Kettle. And he built it off the concept that if you take a, a frog, which is an amphibian that's a cold-blooded animal, you know, a, a, a cold-blooded animals, its activity is defined by the temperature around it. Snakes, fish, right? Cold-blooded animals, amphibians. If you, take, if you take a frog and you boil some water and drop it in the boil water, it'll jump out because it's like, that's too, much, that's too much change. But they say, and I've never tried this at home, but they say that if you put a frog, in, I have never tried this at home. Um, some of you are thinking about it right now. I put a frog in lukewarm water and put it on the stove and heat it up. Gradually, it won't jump out. It'll just heat up, heat up, heat up, and die because it's gradual. You just think about the church. It's just gradual, isn't it? It's a little of this, a little of that. Jesus said, a little leaven spoils the whole batch. Sardis, you know, ancient Greek and Roman cities protected themselves by a part of their city that was called the Acropolis. And it was the high point of the city that they would fortify. And so they would see their enemies coming toward them and they could better defend their cities from the Acropolis. Now, from what I understand, maybe some of you have seen ancient Sardis. I never have. But from what I've seen, there's like a real cliff in front of the Acropolis where Sardis was. So that it was very difficult to invade the city because of the Acropolis. Interesting thing about Sardis, though, is that in open battle, they never, their, their Acropolis was never overtaken. They were never defeated in open battle. But twice in its history, the Acropolis was taken at night by stealth. Sneak in. Sneak in. Church, we stand in open battle. We say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. But what's coming in the back door? That's our question to ask. So I asked the Lord, Lord, this is a hard word. What should I tell them? And this is the word that I got. It's not too late. Be the remnant. Be the remnant. Be, it's not too late. Be the remnant. What does the remnant look like? The Bible says that we're a peculiar people. Check. <laughs> this is one weird place, I got to tell you what. <laughs> it says that we're not going to look like everybody else. We're going to stand out in a crowd. We're a peculiar people. It says we'll be a people of authentic love. Jesus said by this, shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have what? Love one for another. Jesus said a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. We cannot be people of hate. Whether a person agrees with us, lives the way we want them, we have, we have no right to hate anyone. We're called to be people of love. The remnant looks like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
That's what the remnant looks like. The remnant characterize a people of God or character, people who are characterized by a move of God's spirit. The remnant says, come, Lord, your church, your way, do as you will. Come, Lord, a remnant. The remnant is characterized by a need to worship and obey God. The remnant wants to worship God. If you just compare it to the, the remnant of Israel, the, what was different about them is they came to the temple, they continued with authentic, heartfelt worship, and then they obeyed God. That's what the remnant believers do. They obey God. It's not too late, the Lord says. Be the remnant. You can be the remnant, but you've got to ask yourself a couple questions. And the first question is, what's in your house that needs to go? What is in your house that you just kind of let filter on it that needs to go? And what's in your life that needs to change? You've got to ask those questions. They're not easy questions, but they're important questions to be the remnant. I have an embarrassing confession to make. And for you brothers, this is going to be tough. Karen and I have been together for 46 years, and we've done practically everything together. That's just the way we're wired. Get one, you get the other. And for all those 46 years, of all the times that we've done stuff together, there's one thing I would never do with her. I would not go to a fabric store. I, uh, Joanne Fab, whatever it's called, Sofro or whatever, I don't know what they're all called, but it's like, we're, I got to go to the fabric store. You want to No, I don't want to go to the fabric. I don't want to look at material, right? So I always resisted that, and we didn't do it. And then something happened a few years ago. I'm so sorry to tell you this, brothers, but something happened a few years ago where I don't remember what the circumstances were. We must have just been together already, and she had to go in, and she said, why don't you come in with me? And I said, okay, I'll go in. And I liked it. <laughs> I liked it. I, I liked it. Uh, I mean, because there's other stuff in there other than just material, you know? There's other stuff in there. It's not just material. They don't have a tool section, but they got stuff that's good, that's okay to look for guys to look at, right? All right, but it's embarrassing, but I confess that to you. I like going to Joanne's Fabrics now, all right? She's going, I'll go. But I've noticed something about Karen when she goes. Maybe she's wanting to make some curtain or something for the kitchen. She always goes to the same place every time first. Where is it? The remnants, exactly. She goes to the remnants. She goes to the section of the remnants. What's a remnant? It's what's left when they've already sold this and this to other people. It's what's left on the bolt. I'm in. I'm all the way in. I'm in deep. All right? Deep. All right? Listen, I'm in deep. But the, thing of, the reason she goes to the remnants is because it's what's left and because it's less costly. They'll give you a good deal on that. I got to tell you something. If you want to be the remnant, it's going to cost you everything. You don't get off cheap. Jesus, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me in the gospel will find it. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. You'll either love the one or hate the other. Jesus said, if you don't love me more than father, mother, sister, brother, you're not worthy of me. It's costly to be the remnant. 
but they're the ones who wind up in the good place. And according to this letter, Father, we just pray now your blessing on our concluding time together. We pray that your Holy Spirit will move in us powerfully to bring about the specific response that will bring you the most glory. We, we're not there yet, Lord. Lord, it strikes me that the people of the remnant would not necessarily know that because humility, I think, is going to be at the core of the thing. Can we just be your children? Can we just be sold out? Can we just be radical believers? And if that makes it remnant, Lord, praise God. Praise you, Lord. We don't want a badge that says remnant. We don't want to think of ourselves differently from anyone else who may not be. We just want to be right with you, God, and we want to walk with you and honor you with our lives. We want to build our lives on you, Lord. We don't want you to be a part of our lives. We want you to be our life, Lord. We don't want you to be Sunday morning. We want you to be 168 hours a week, Lord, just to come and occupy us. Make us the men and women and young people that will bring you the greatest glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand together. Let's sing a worship song to the Lord. Just let this song be your prayer.